0: Welcome to episode 24 of Teachers Lift. In this episode, we're headed back to HKUST to hear our hosts, Tess Hogue and Levi Lamb, talking to our old friend, Sean McMinn. In these days of online teaching and online engagement, the topic of digital literacy is ever more important, and in this conversation, our hosts dig deep with our resident digital literacy expert, Sean to get insights into how we can make sense of everything that's going on and how digital literacy is applicable. Now I'll turn it over to Tess and Levi. Have a great show, guys. Good luck.
1: as as an associate professor of language learning at our school, Hong Kong University of Science and Technology, Mr. Sean McMinn. How are you
2: doing, Sean? Pretty good, pretty good. Thank you very much. Hi, Sean. How are you? you? Hi, I'm excellent. Thank you. How are you two?
3: Fine. Yeah, I'm doing okay. Yeah, semester is, you know, moving along, getting into the
1: rhythms. Yeah.
3: So what are we talking about today, Levi?
1: Sean is here to Provide some expertise on one of the topics that he is very familiar with, digital literacy. And for people who are regular listeners of this show, you should be a pretty familiar voice. You've been on a few of these, haven't you,
2: Sean? I have. I have. As an interviewer as well, yes. All right. So this should go smoothly, very smoothly. All right. uh, I think, Sean,
1: you've done some work uh, with Coursera and Minerva Platforms for the CLE.
2: Mm Mm-hmm.
3: Okay. Yeah, well, um, maybe we could start, um, you know, just with a general sort of definition of uh, digital literacy. Yeah, that's
1: a good idea, because um, in the little bit of research that we've done, we did find the definition from Cornell University that says digital literacy is partially the ability to find, evaluate, utilize, share and create content using information technologies. I'm just wondering, Sean, would you add anything to that?
2: Yeah, I mean, that's a a pretty common definition I hear. Uh, I would add to that. I I think um, one of the things that we need to shift our thinking when we're talking about digital literacy is that it it encompasses meaning-making in and around multiple modes of communication, right? So it's not just about information technology per se, but it's the fact that in today's world, a lot of our communication has turned uh, towards a more multimodal form of communication. Just think about the podcast we're that we're, we're producing right now, uh, or 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 podcasts, video uh, podcasts, or even academic blogs. They're they're quite often multimodal, and so these definitions like the one that you gave me tend to ignore the fact that uh, our competencies in Uh, meaning making uh, in and around multiple modes of communication uh, through digital media or other forms of digital digital genres uh, are ignored. And and that ignores things like having to develop new rhetorical skills, uh, new knowledge of semiotics uh, even, Uh, understanding the use of uh, linguistic cues and how they're different, right? Uh, Talking virtually like this in Zoom as I think everyone has discovered over the last year, it requires different linguistic cues to transition between people, uh, and um, so it's- I And would not only all...
3: that, but um, nonverbal language, non-verbal such as, for language. example, Exactly. Yeah, we all wave to, uh, you know, ask goodbye to our students yes. using those sorts of cues, yeah. which we would never do in a classroom. No,
2: no, I wouldn't sit at the yeah. in the classroom waving. No, everyone then goodbye. just wave. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Uh, and uh, so I would add that to the definition, I think.
1: So maybe what you're saying is that the general definition seems to just be focused on like the function of digital literacy rather than the competencies it develops. Absolutely. Would that be accurate?
2: I, I think that that's an accurate, uh, accurate way of looking at it. Um, the, the, a lot of these definitions are, are conventional definitions and they're often associated more with li- uh, information literacy skills or, or computer literacy skills. And they're, yeah, you're right, looking at the functionality. Uh, and so uh, quite often uh, when universities teach these skills, they focus, well, not quite often, sometimes, they, they, they focus on the, the technical skills and, and, and call this digital literacy. So how do you create something in, in um, a video editing software? I mean, these are all important things, but are we teaching students um, how they're uh, creating meaning with these multimodal tools, right? When you're editing your video, you're learning the technical skills. Yes, that's good. That's important. But are you also learning the rhetorical effects of...
3: So Sean, give us a a more uh, sort of concrete example, because as you're saying that I'm, I keep hearing meaning, but I'm not quite sure how you would uh, apply it.
2: Okay, so uh, let's take a very simple multimodal symbol uh, mm-hmm. and understand how we, we read it. Take a look at the stop sign. Uh, this isn't digital literacy, but it's a, right. it's a multimodal okay. sign, right? Uh, we come to recognize that uh, the stop sign itself is, isn't just the word; it's the color, the red, mm. right, and the shape of the sign. All of that makes up the meaning of a stop sign. Right? That's a very simple yeah. way of looking. In other words, the
3: semiotics of the stop sign. it's the yeah.
2: semiotics of the stop sign. Exactly. Right. right? Now, with digital literacy, uh, when we when we take that when we start thinking about digital literacy. And we're communicating through digital media. We're making use of multimodal forms, right? And sometimes a combination of these modes create a certain type of media. That's why I said it gives it forces us to rethink semiotics and how we communicate, right, in everyday life. Um, sure. So, for example, blogs. I, well, uh, when people write on blogs, they often actually. No, let's go to memes because everyone likes to talk about memes. Yeah,
3: <laughs> I love memes.
2: Right. <laughs> Uh, memes are are, are are a way where both the image and the word, and also the cultural understanding of the image, right? If you don't understand the cultural background of an image, you might miss the meaning of the meme, uh, or the historical, the contextual uh, 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 meaning of the image. But with the words, we'll often create either some sort of uh, political commentary effect or, or, or a humorous effect, but it's only the combination of the image and the words uh, that, that, that make it work. And then how well that's constructed determines how well it spreads. And that's why successful means are more successful than others because the people who design them know very well that the, um, the words that they choose, the color, and also the spatial, this is, a, this is a form of modality that we don't talk a lot about, the spatial elements uh, of, of communication where things are placed and in the proximity they are or how they're laid out how that adds a meaning to to the artifact that you're trying to commute or the message that you're trying to communicate
1: but all of this as teachers we want to apply all of this to achieving some sort of competency for our students or learning objectives for our students right i mean that's the whole point in applying this as teachers for our students so if we think about what our students want to achieve whether they want to create something evaluate something analyze something, apply something, understand something, or remembering something. Which one of these learning objectives do you think digital literacy really benefits?
2: Can I say all of them? Sure. <laughs> sure. Not one in particular. No, absolutely not. I think I think I think they're all they're they're relevant for all of that. Um, I gonna I'm gonna refer, I gotta look at on, on my own screen here as we're talking because it's a long list of things, but uh, Henry Jenkins uh, out of MIT, I think, he, well, I'm not sure if he's still there or not, uh, has written a lot about uh, participatory culture and digital literacy, as has a, a very famous linguist, uh, James Paul G. And, and we have a few colleagues in Hong Kong who have written significantly about the subject area as well. But they talk about how this new, uh, these, these new competencies that are arising are, are forced us to rethink how we interact around culture uh, within society. Uh, And and I'm getting to your point about blooms in a moment here, but they they raise different forms of competencies that are important, but also different occurrences. Like uh, because of digital literacy, because of new digital media, we now have different affiliations with people. We express ourselves differently. We collaborate and solve problems differently. We circulate information differently, right? We perform, and uh, what I mean by perform, we perform our roles differently sometimes in a digital role. As teachers, right? You, as a teacher, we're performing differently online than we might in a face to face lesson, for example. We are distributing knowledge differently. Um, and in a sense, we're networking differently and we're negotiating meaning differently. And these are just some elements. So coming back to your point about Bloom's and ILO's. Uh, in introducing digital literacy is analyzing and analytical skills, definitely, right? In, in teaching these skills, we, we are enabling students to develop better analytical thinking. They can piece apart, uh, break down the information that they're receiving digitally and explain why uh, it might be persuasive or why it might be biased or why it might be false information. Right. On the surface, it it, it appears to be true. But when I break it down and analyze it based on my digital literacy skills, I can see that actually this is a more of an emotive message and there's no information there, but it's crafted in a very well and sophisticated way to fool me.
3: So it seems that what you're saying is that uh, because of the multi layers in the meaning and um, it just seems that the the kind of assessments, perhaps, that we um, give students or the kind of interpretations of feedback that we expect from students would be more open-ended and therefore more open to uh, authentic tasks, which really has a very big implication with, uh, you know, our sort of current um, curriculum, wouldn't yeah, you say? Uh,
2: um, open and What do you mean by open-ended?
3: I think um, instead of, for example, uh, let's say we ask them to um, um, g- give a thesis statement, right? That's, that's a fairly close-ended uh, outcome. Give us a, a thesis statement. But if we say, um, all right, how would you interpret this using different layers of meaning? It means they're kind of answers that they come up with. May not be on the teacher's answer sheet, um, and so how it, it, it means that it becomes very interesting that we're actually genuinely asking for students' uh, response to ideas that we may not necessarily have these supposed answers
2: yeah right. I, I, yeah I think that's perhaps maybe why uh, we haven't successfully taken on the subject of teacher is because of that. Uh, it, there's a lot of gray area. Right? Yeah. A, lot, a lot of times, a lot of teachers like uh, the, a definite answer to their questions that they're teaching in the classroom, right? And, and mm. life, life's not like that.
3: Exactly, which is why this is so uh, in, such an interesting area.
2: And, well, to um, test this point, it's not just
1: a definite answer. It's what is traditionally a recognizable answer, right? We, uh, we can yes. recognize a thesis statement. But the way you're describing digital literacy, Sean, I mean, the multimodality of it, as teachers, we'd have to, I don't even know where we would be, we, where would we begin to start to grasp the, the vastness of it in order to be able to assess the myriad of potential submissions that a student might come up with through digital literacy.
2: Well, there is research out there, right? There is research out there on multimodality uh, and and, and, uh, meaning-making through multimodal forms of communication, right? There's empirical evidence to show how humans make uh, understanding or understand messages through multimodal means. So we have that type of definitive knowledge, I guess you could say, right? We can recognize it. Um, so we, as teachers, it's just raising the bar a little bit more development in that area raise teachers awareness that today we need to go beyond um, your teaching of thesis. I'm not saying that thesis writing is not important, right? Oh, still of still Yes. Right? Yes. But just because uh, that's what we traditionally done and always done mostly, right? Or writing reports or, Uh, business proposals, whatever type of writing you do in your courses or or presentations that you teach. There's so much more out there in the world now that um, are just as important, just as meaningful in the workplace. And when students get out into the workplace, our fresh graduates, when they get out into the workplace, uh, they will most likely need to attend conferences online, go to seminars, Present information, uh, present infographics uh, in, in presentations, right? Knowing how, like an infographic, how in a multimodal form um, creates meaning uh, is very important. How they present themselves in an online seminar, uh, we're not teaching that. I mean, at least here at CLE, uh, we're not going into it into the depth I think that is really needed to prepare our students. We touch on it, elements of these things in different courses but we don't do it in a way that prepares students for uh, the prof- professional careers. Uh, we might do so something- So what would
3: you like to see happening then at, at the CLE in terms of digital literacy? Do you want this more
2: expanded role or? Um, yeah, coming back to Levi's original question about Bloom's taxonomy. I mean, it's. I think it's more than this, but I think coming back to, to, to these uh, objectives where we're teaching students how to analyze. I think that's very important. How to be critical, yeah. uh, but also how to apply it themselves. Right? How could they create their own? Um, uh, so it seems like artifacts. we're introducing
3: more creativity, and uh, it, you know, in the academic context, it it almost seems to be a oxymoron, doesn't it? To teach. Um, <laughs> it might not necessarily. Create, be. Yeah. It might not necessarily be
1: creativity, but it's just the world we live in now. I mean, the way that we get information in the real world is just multimodal, and maybe we're trying to make a transition no, so I, that what we teach. I think there must teach...
3: be an element of, of, of creativity here because well, of course there's definitely yeah. a, an element of creativity. Yeah. But the notion I don't.
1: I'm. I don't want to speak for uh, Sean because I'm not really that familiar with digital literacy. But um, I don't think the emphasis is on it, something particularly creative rather than something that just reflects the various ways that we disseminate and gather
2: information now.
3: Mm, I so don't that, know. What do you think, Sean?
2: I, I would say it's no different than you need creativity for writing anything, right? You, 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 academic paper, you need creativity in how you put it together and formulate your That's arguments, true. right? So all forms of communication require creativity. Right, So it's not a matter of whether or not we have to focus on creativity. It's more or less are we giving students the exposure to these competencies that they should master and understand the tools that are available to them to both deconstruct meaning but also create meaning through a digital mode. Um, Coming back, I mean, Patrick at HKU. He, he's been doing a lot of work uh, in digital storytelling. Right? This is a form. This is a part of um, a digital literacies that's that's really important. And this is where it can be transformed into a pedagogical approach, right? where the output is some sort of digital artifact. It's a digital story, and you've developed a digital skills uh, literacy skills to tell a good story. But for as a pedagogical approach, you're 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 learning through workshops and storytelling and sharing and revising and collaborating uh, how to formulate a good story. And then on top of that, understanding the multimodal aspects of things, you can even make your storytelling more impactful uh, to an audience because you're making use of sound, visuals, uh, gestural uh, uh, movements, um, uh, linguistic cues and so on. Right? So. Uh, there's different ways you can approach d- digital literacy. I don't think there's any one way. I hope I didn't kill Patrick's idea of what digital storytelling is all about.
3: Yeah, I went to a global storytelling um, conference um, in in Oxford. Now it sounds very, uh, I know it sounds very high up, but it wasn't. It's just I think a chance for them to rent out their spaces during the summer. But the conference itself was fantastic and one, one of the interesting things that they were doing was um, have you ever heard of a personal historian so personal historian is somebody who you hire to find out a little bit about your family history and then they uh, they tell they write the history of your family um, as, as, as a story and They use, um, uh, you know, there's various ways that they can um, bring across this story either through uh, blogs or conventional book chapter form. So there's, as you said, you know, there's a lot going on here with um, digital literacy.
2: I mean, one of the areas that we're working on here at CLE is we're building a digital scholarship platform uh, where we're trying to introduce the concept of applied scholarship. Uh, which isn't research, but it's more or less along the lines of um, uh, put it, I'm trying to put it as simple as I can for this, for the purpose of this interview. Digital uh, Applied scholarship is along the lines of your um, collecting information either from this classroom or through uh, literature that you've read, you're trying out new things, and then you're writing about it, either in a blog or, or a paper or a conference or some sort of output that is there publicly for uh, your peers to comment on. So let's say I read a, a book about task-based language learning and I wanna try something uh, that I just read in the classroom. And I try it in the classroom and then I come back and I write a blog about why would I try, where I got the information from, what influenced me, how did it turn out and why I think it worked or why I didn't think it worked, right? And then I would produce that in a blog. So coming back to the digital literacy skills, it's, this isn't just for students, this is also for us as teachers. Yes. What is an academic blog, right? And I'm getting that question a lot. And, and, and it's a good question, but it's interesting because academic blogs aren't really that new. They've been around now for well over a decade. And, and, and they're just a, in a sense, an informal way of a lot of researchers and academics discussing things uh, that uh, they're working on or ideas that they have, um, or...
3: So in other words, the academic blog is simply the content of looking at academic an academic area, but the way you contribute to it, or the way you, uh, um, yeah, the way that you contribute to it, doesn't necessarily have to be academic as we know it. Is that what you're saying?
2: No, well, no, not, not quite. Well, I guess what I'm trying to say here is it's still grounded in, re- still grounded in literature. Right. right in, in theories and framework. And you're referring to it in your blog entries. But it's not going through a rigorous review panel. Right? It's just you I discussing see. in an informal way. Saying, hey, world, I want to talk about this. What are your thoughts? right
1: and it's open to a variety of submission types
2: right it doesn't just have to be a blog it could be a video it could be it could be a podcast well this is an example of of, of that type of academic uh digital artifact right a, a, a teacher's podcast so digital literacy includes that for teachers as well right so what makes a good academic blog well you can make a multimodal you can provide links. Hyperlinks is another form of communication. How you link to things, why do you link to it? Quite often people don't realize, well I shouldn't generalize like that, but uh, hyperlinks are rhetorical in themselves, right? If an author writes something in the hyperlink to another source, why? As a critical reader I have to think, why are they linking this? Are they linking this to add additional information? Are they linking this to uh, persuade me more with another viewpoint? Or are they actually showing me that they're having a well-rounded argument by linking to an opposing argument, right? What's the purpose of that link? And what rhetorical effect does it have on their piece that, they, that, they're, that they're presenting, right? Uh, but we're not training our students this, right? I, 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 where do students learn how to hyperlink effectively, right? And, um, and that's just one small element. Right. But as, an, as teachers, I've digressed back and forth from teachers and students. But coming back to academic blogs, I think coming back to an earlier question that Levi asked about, well, what do we do with teachers? How do we equip them for this? I, I get them involved in, in, in this environment. Get them to communicate it, it, it themselves and uh, write about it. Um, yeah, you, you learn through doing sometimes. Right. Absolutely.
1: I want to get back to something you mentioned earlier about uh having these different affiliations and roles when you're in sort of like this digital world. Um, I came across this uh, expression called digital citizenship. And it suggests that somehow digital literacy isn't just a new way of sharing information, but there's this notion of digital citizenship that suggests that we should have a broader responsibility if we contribute or participate somehow in this digital forum. Uh, How do you interpret that expression?
3: Yeah, I'm unsure of of what that means. What do you mean? Do you know um, what they meant by responsibility? Is it a community, an obligation to the community to be what truthful or uh, verifiable?
1: Well, some of it is is related to that. That as teachers, we kind of help our students to parse what is credible and uncredible information. Um, there's also a sort of expected type of behavior in which uh, un- all too unfortunately I think uh, because of the anonymity of you know the digital world we tend to express ourselves in our reflecting our, our lesser angels rather than our better angels. So, <laughs> I was, so I was just I just came across this expression called digital liter- uh, dig- digital citizenship and I was just curious if, even if you've never heard of it before, Sean, whether or not you would have an interpretation of what it, what it might mean.
2: Yeah. Um, it's a very broad topic and people have written about it. Um, there's, uh, you, you, you mentioned being anonymous, for example, and the impact that has on your role, uh, as a responsible citizen. And there has been research. And in fact, I listened to a recent podcast, um, called the hidden brain uh, it's an NPR podcast it was very good it's called the halo effect and it was all about empathy and one of the things that it talks about is or, or that they mentioned in the show is how because of people being able to act anonymously it 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 it, it, it constrains empathy right we behave differently than we would if if, if we would if we were uh, not anonymous. And they, the show begins with a, uh, uh, an experiment where this person was sitting in a room. Um, he set it up as an art exhibit where he sat in a room for I think 12 days, uh, and in the room uh, was just a lamp, his bed, and uh, something else. I can't remember what the other item was, and an automatic BB BB gun that was hooked up to a computer, a paintball gun. And anyone could go online and control the gun and shoot anything in the room. Wow. And- Most people shot him. He was consistently shot for 12 days. (laughs) And he recorded the thing. And the man broke down crying at times because he felt that the world was so cruel, right? And, but of course, there's some good story parts, right? People actually would come because he gave where the exhibit was, people will come and bring him cupcakes and say hey I see how the world is cruel I just want you to know that there's some good people in the world and they would give him some food right so there were people who would actually show up and they were not anonymous right because they showed up face to face and gave him uh, the food uh, but there were other people who were just shooting him and the po- they, they used this as a intro to the show right but it was a good way of highlighting how uh, being anonymous enables you to do things that you normally wouldn't do or it empowers you in a sense.
3: Um, so, therefore, digital uh, citizenship would uh, imply, you know, certain um, rules of behavior that we would expect from our ordinary citizen, right? So that you would, but you would have uh, applied in the digital world. So maybe it means more positive messages, or um, you know, no trolling and things like that.
2: Well, yeah, that, that's, that's something that we can't solve in this podcast, I, I, I'm sure. But
1: there is a concern that if we're going to open our students to this and it goes, you know, to the ether of the Internet, yeah. that people can respond. I, I think one of the, one of the uh, uh, things that you mentioned about the uh, CLE digital uh, scholarship, was it digital scholarship platform, something like that, effect, is that it goes public. Right. And then presumably the public could have feedback and, you know, we have issues. uh, I mean, how do we sort of insulate our students from potentially very uh, sensitive types of comments?
2: Yeah. Uh, Unfortunately for these kind of things, you need guidelines and and strict rules and moderators to make sure that things adhere to those rules. And and, and if someone misbehaves, you ban them from a platform in that sense. I mean, there are ways of controlling it. Uh, I mean, for me, it comes down to, we have to do more in educating people on how to recognize bad behavior and how to recognize misinformation as well, and how we're being fooled by very uh, well-crafted messages because people know how to craft these messages. They understand how digital media and multimodal communication can evoke emotion uh, that they want you to feel. And they take a, they, they take advantage of your cognitive biases by appealing to your emotion quite often through their messages very well. I mean, just recently, I was talking to a very intelligent person, um, and they, they forwarded me uh, this meme of Trump, right? We can't go through a podcast without talking about Trump. Uh, we could have tried. We could have tried, but I'm going to bring <laughs> it in. Uh, and it was about him. It was it was a it was a meme about him coming back. It was just a picture of him with look what looked like um CC caption underneath a news broadcast, looked like a CC C, C, CNN screen capture with a CC caption underneath what he was saying. And he says, The doctor says I have the best DNA. I have the best DNA there is. In fact, my DNA is not DNA, my DNA is USA. Right, and yeah. um, you mean that's not true? It's not true. That, that's oh. a, a false meme. He didn't oh. really say <laughs> that. Oh, but this person forwarded it to me, and this person's usually very good at identifying these misinformation. And they said, I can't. Can you believe he said this? I can't believe he said this. And I thought, well, the, if you look at the meme, the way it's been designed, in that it looks like it's purposely trying to make him look like he said that. This doesn't look like a real screen capture to me, right? And um, it, it goes to show you that even the best, the most intelligent of, of us, like our, our, even myself, like all of us, we, we fall for these messages quite often uh, without truly understanding why.
3: Ah, oh, I see. Well, if it's so
1: difficult for um, that very in, intelligent person that you, you were speaking with to sort of distinguish what is deliberately deceptive versus, you know what is... What is true? How do we help students? You know, just speaking for myself, I'm a past middle-aged man, and I would likely be fooled by some of those things myself.
3: Oh, but you look so much younger, Levi. It's a podcast
1: test.
2: <laughs> Nobody <laughs> sounds can see young, answers. All right. <laughs> um All right. <laughs> Yeah, we, we we do it through courses, like 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 a digital storytelling course, or the course that I have here uh, on digital literacies, where they actually go through the process of creating things and analyzing things and they get feedback in that way we equip them with the dialogue and the tools and the vocabulary to explain it give them the vocabulary to dissect and break down a multimodal messages and get them to create it as well and then get them to explain why they created it the way they did right so in my course for example they have to create a meme i actually get them to create a meme uh, after going through some theories about what makes a meme or what type of memes there are, uh, I say, all right. Now create your own meme, and then write me uh, a paper that explains why you designed it the way you did, and and, and what are the effects uh, of your design. So you're drawing their awareness more to uh, the action, the 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 the, um,
3: the intended purposes, the of of, intended purpose, of the, and,
2: yeah, yeah, and yeah. the doing. Right? And you're not just telling them about it. This is what digital literacy is. You get them to do it and get them to break it down as they do it.
1: That's that's a really interesting idea. Can you tell us a little bit about sort of like your development process when you were thinking about this? Like what were some of the, some of the things you were concerned about? What were some of the, well, I think you've begun explaining some of the goals, but when you were first designing this idea, um, what were some of the intended learning outcomes, the goals, and what were some of the concerns and how did you sort of traverse that? creative process?
2: Well, the learning outcomes of the course is, is, is basically what we are talking about earlier, how to analyze critically uh, digital media, how to um, uh, both create and, 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 and um, summarize uh, content uh, through digital modes, but also understand the social impact of digital media and, and, and how that impacts communication and relations and networking. So to do that, I, uh, I, I, I give them some input, but we generally, the lessons are usually uh, geared around some sort of problem uh, where I might give them a meme or give them a podcast or give them an, an advertisement because it, it follows the similar rules. And, and, and um, they'll deconstruct it and they'll discuss why it affects why it has that effect the way it does. And they're hopefully using the vocabulary that, that, that I gave them to the input which was usually in the form of a lecture video. And then they apply it by creating something first as a meme, which is they're only focusing on, with the meme on a visual and a linguistic mode of communication. But then they move on to podcasts and it could be an audio podcast or a video podcast. And then they bring in the other modes of communication as well. Right, And both artifacts that they have to create, they also have to always write a paper to justify why they um. Created it the way they did, so it's they're they're learning the technical skills and how to do this, but more importantly, they're learning why they're doing it, why they've constructed their message the way they have, and the intended impact that they expect to have. And then the feedback I give them uh, hopefully uh, improves those skills that they're trying to learn. So that's really a a very quick summary of the course. What do you think, Tess?
3: What you, you think you
2: can do something like that in one of your courses?
3: Oh, I would love to do that in, in my courses. So, I mean, that brings me into my, you know, next question. Uh, we're now 10 years into the future. Let's see, we're in 20, so it's, we're now in 2030, right? And you still have a job at um, HKUSD. What What would you see the, how would you like to see um, digital literacy uh, developed in by that time, in let's say, you know, another 10 years.
1: You mean as integrated into the CLE curriculum? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's how, a good how question. would, it, yeah, would how, you like how to would see, it, John?
3: Yeah, how would it look like in 10 yeah. years' time?
2: That's a good question. I, I, I would like it to go beyond just being a single course, right? Right now, it's just a course. It's a common core course at, at HKUST, uh, and it's not a required course. I would like to see elements of, these competencies uh, that that, that this course teaches uh, in other courses, right? So as a student goes through our language curriculum from year one, all the way to year three or year four, they will be able to say, I have this competency in multimodal uh, communication and I've been able to apply this competency in different contexts, right? Both from an uh, EAP context, but also within my engineering courses, okay? and, and they could—they they, they would have received both input and practice throughout all of those courses. And the student is able to track that through their entire university career and be able to say, "This is my ability in digital literacy skills, and this is how I've applied it throughout all my courses." So it needs to be embedded in the curriculum as a whole, in that sense. So not just a course on its own. That's that would be good.
3: I think that's a great vision I, I like that idea
2: and lot. it's this constantly evolving thing yeah. right I mean yeah. as
1: technology evolves the literacies evolve well it's de- definitely uh, a subject with really really exciting possibilities I for think that's sure. a good place for us to sort of wrap this
3: up um test any last thoughts um no I was just going to ask if Sean had any last uh I was just that he would same. like to a last word <laughs> Last word that something that he feels a burning desire to, uh, burning to put on a desire. Put, burning desire to put on a meme.
2: Uh, well, I, I don't have yeah, memes. I well, I, I I think some of you know my my opinions about memes and, and 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 the danger that they they can cause. While they're fun to fun to uh, to read and share, and and that uh, sometimes we're not always aware of the impact that they have uh, on society. And I think. That, without sounding like a a broken record I just think we need to do more uh, in in, in raising the awareness of how we communicate uh, through digital technologies nowadays because that is the predominant way outside of university with our assignments that we ask students to submit to us a lot of people communicate and share knowledge online nowadays and um, there's a lot of well, there's a lot of
1: problems. Well, raising yeah. awareness of those of those issues can begin by sort of fulfilling that vision of yours of you know integrating more digital literacy yeah. uh, elements into our uh, our center and the curriculum for other centers. Well, Sean, thank you so thank much you. for your time. Uh, you. Yes, I know thank you're very you, busy, Sean. man. Thank yes, Great to host with you.
3: Yes, thank you, Levi.
1: It's great. To, it's great to host with you. i look forward to doing it again next time.
3: Okay, see you then.
1: See you later, guys. See you later. Bye. Bye.
0: Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us here today on Teachers Lift. This podcast is a collaborative effort from Center for Language Education at the Hong Kong University of Science and Technology, Center for Applied English Studies at Hong Kong University, and the English Language Center at the Hong Kong Polytechnic University. If you've enjoyed this episode, I hope you'll subscribe using the podcast app of your choice, and be sure to like and subscribe on Facebook. We thank you for your continued support and listening, and we hope you'll tune in for the next episode of Teachers Lift. Thanks, and have a good day.